0: Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York. Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. My guest today in studio is Anthea Kelsick. Anthea is the Chief Marketing Officer for B Lab, the nonprofit organization that oversees B Corp certification and a number of other initiatives such as the B Impact Management programs and software specifically designed to help and inspire businesses to create value for society beyond traditional stakeholders. Certified benefit corporations voluntarily meet standards of transparency, accountability, sustainability, and performance. Anthea has spent much of her career working in brand strategy and design, and as a social impact continues to take center stage, Anthea is at the forefront of the movement of businesses as a force for good. Anthea, welcome to Brand on Purpose, and welcome to our studio.
1: Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here.
0: So you're a guest, or at least the organization that you work for, we talk about all the time. We've had lots of B Corps and certified organizations on the show. And just to start, why don't you just very quickly explain what a B Corp is, what it isn't, and why you joined.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for having me here today and excited to talk about B Corps wherever I can have the platform. So appreciate being here B Corp is a for-profit company that meets the highest standards of social environmental impact. It's that simple. There are 3,000 B Corps all over the world. Half of those are in the United States of America and Canada, and they are companies that are at the forefront of this business for good movement. A little bit of the understanding of what a B Corp is comes in the form of how you become a B Corp. And there's essentially three steps that a company needs to take in order to become a B Corp. And so the first step is to reach a certain threshold on what we call the B impact assessment. It is a incredibly rigorous set of standards. I know you've had some B Corps and non-B Corps on the podcast before. And
0: we've looked into it for our own agency too, which we'll talk about. Oh,
1: fabulous. It's hard. It's the hardest test any company's ever going to have to take. And those companies have to reach a certain threshold on social environmental impact as a first step. The second step is to meet a level of transparency, and so that is committing to sharing your assessment and progress on that assessment over the course of time. And then the third piece is about accountability, and this can sometimes be one of the trickier bits of becoming a B Corp, where a company has to actually shift their corporate structure, their legal structure, in order to remain accountable to all of the stakeholders that they deliver to. And that comes in the form of various corporate structures, the most common of which is the benefit corporation, not to be confused with the B Corp itself. And
0: is the benefit corporation a legal designation?
1: It is entirely a legal designation. It is an alternative to being an S Corp or a C Corp. You can take the articles in the benefit corp legislation into your LLC, as an example.
0: I wasn't arguing, but I was discussing with our head of HR. I had heard that you can't be a B Corp if you're an LLC. That is not true. Okay, thank you for... Debunking that myth. Fake news. Okay. So you can, but you would have to just incorporate the articles of a benefit corporation inside of your LLC.
1: Correct. That's all it takes. How hard is that? It largely depends on who's writing that LLC on your behalf. And so if you're a solopreneur, you're an individual, it is not a hard thing to do. Did you just
0: make that word up?
1: Solopreneur? Yeah. I certainly can't take credit for that.
0: I like it. Okay, we'll use it. Solopreneur. So I'm not a solopreneur. I'm majority owned by a publicly traded company, but we are an LLC.
1: Got it. Yeah. You can absolutely shift the Articles of Incorporation into your LLC. And depending on how that LLC is structured, it might take a vote of who the corporate directors are in charge of that LLC. It's something many, many, many of our B Corps do.
0: How long has B Lab been around?
1: B Lab is the nonprofit organization that certifies these companies. We are the third party, sort of the objective point of view. We've been around for just over 13 years. It was founded by... Three friends who'd met in college, as many entrepreneurial stories go, and they'd each gone off and had their experience in the corporate sector and came out with a passion around how to reinvent that in a way that actually helped the people who worked for them or the communities that they impacted or the environment around them. And they went through a series of fellowships, did a ton of research with academics and economists and entrepreneurs themselves to uncover what the barriers were for companies to be good companies and they recognized that the environment was not what it should be from a from a structural or a policy standpoint they recognized that even if you wanted to be a really good company as a ceo you often weren't allowed to because you had to deliver to shareholders and so they created this organization which is best known for certifying b-corps but there's some other things that we do as well that we can talk about
0: so 2007 is my math right
1: yep 2006, seven.
0: So, the year that the iPhone basically came into the market is when B Labs was founded. And are they still friends?
1: They are still friends.
0: Yeah. You know, the whole old adage of a friendship built on business versus a business built on friendship. So, I'm glad to hear they're still friends. That's cool. And in terms of your own journey, so you worked for like an oil company when you just got out of college, right?
1: I did indeed.
0: How did that make you feel?
1: I mean at the time it was there's nothing wrong
0: with oil companies we still need oil we all need oil we but, all need
1: oil and we all want oil companies to be some of these better companies right. and figure out different ways to to power our world the reason I ended up in big oil and I was I worked for a strategy consultancy in Paris for 3 years that helped with advisory services for big oil our clients were Exxon Chevron Shell and the like
0: This is after grad school
1: This is after college Okay. And so it sounds incredibly impressive. And
0: I should tell our listeners, you're like super smart. You went to Stanford undergrad. I
1: did go to Stanford and then undergrad. And went to Penn
0: to get your master's? MBA. MBA, yep. right? Someone from this oil company hypnotized you after college and said, you should work for us.
1: Coming out of college, I thought I was going to become a psychologist. So I was fascinated by human behavior, by decision making, by how, how you grew up or your ethnicity or whatever the like might be of your identity, like transformed decisions. Yeah. And so in advance of going into a PhD, I was like, "Ugh, I need to go take some time off. My parents gave me the gift of wanderlust and travel and people all over the world. So I went to live with my aunt in Paris and started to apply for jobs. I could have become a bartender as easily as I could have gotten this temp job at the strategy agency. I chose that one because it paid more money, as most things do when you work for Big Oil. And I ended up staying for three and a half years. And it transformed my point of view of what my passion was, understanding people and decisions, and how they approach the world through the lens of business. And I was I was caught up. I was stung by the bee of the interestingness of that. And then from there went on to business school to figure out, what does this really mean for me? How do I create the intersection of how people think and what the business sector is all about? And quickly transferred away from the oil sector at that stage. But it definitely set a foundation for understanding how people with lots of power make decisions and what those incentives are and later on in my career, understanding how some of those things probably needed to shift in order to see the world we wanted to.
0: And maybe I'm wrong in asserting this, but isn't it less about the person who works in these companies or the people and more about the systems that gate their ability to become more progressive or modern sometimes, or they're used to doing the same thing over and over again? And of course they are, they do have to answer to shareholders, but obviously people can make that change, but they're also kind of stuck in a system that doesn't necessarily allow for a lot of that change, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's a combination of the two. It is it is people as individuals and it is the system that they operate in. And just coming back to B-Lab for a second, like the way we approach the work is through systems change. And so we look at it as the three levers of systems change to transform capitalism around behavior shifts, cultural shifts, and structure shifts. And so The structural piece is real. I think that's one of the reasons why our founders worked really hard to create this benefit corporation legal construct, because the environment in which businesses operated wouldn't even allow the most woke or the most progressive CEO to do what they needed to do because the incentives weren't there. And so that was one means of disbanding that speed bump for those CEOs to make the decisions they wanted to.
0: When you say incentive, do you mean a financial incentive?
1: No, I mean, the maybe it's not the incentive that it should be yet. It's more about dismantling the barrier for yeah. them to do what they wanted to do. But I do think the individual is incredibly important. And so when it comes to these behavior changes, we want to see companies behaving differently or being more like a B Corp. But you have to have the C-suite or the corporate directors or the board on board with that. And that is, we've found very much a, a person-to-person discussion, particularly in, in the wake of the business roundtable there's a lot of rhetoric around wanting companies to become more progressive in terms of stakeholder capitalism. But not everyone's on board with that. That was incredibly disruptive. There are still critics. And so we're seeing the cultural shift, but we still need to have individuals as advocates for that in order to push all of those levers forward.
0: And there's a difference between satisfying the thresholds that we're talking about to become a B Corp versus saying that my business has purpose baked into its business model. So you can still be a B Corp and not necessarily have your business model always providing benefits back to society necessarily, right?
1: I'm not sure it's as black and white as that. I think in order to become a B Corp, you have to be able to show that you are delivering value to your workers, to the community, into your supply chain, to your customers, and obviously the environment. And so your business model fundamentally needs to shift a little bit in that direction, particularly if the pendulum was all the way on the other side of purely delivering to shareholders at all right. costs.
0: So here's the thing going back to yeah. business roundtable. So, and I've used this in my presentations before, I think it was the CEOs of IBM, JP Morgan Chase, and maybe Johnson and Johnson on the cover of fortune getting all this halo praise for, Oh, it's not just about the shareholder. It's a different stakeholder. It's society now, right? How is it that anybody would believe I'm not, I'm just, I'm just trying to be a little skeptical. This is the way I am, just skeptical, that J.P. Morgan Chase, not a bad company at all, is going to be a B Corp, or is going to be providing, has a real societal benefit beyond the banking that they do and the different financial products they provide, both the businesses and individuals. Yeah. I can't imagine them transforming in that way versus a smaller, or even some of the divisions of Unilever and Ben and & Jerry's, they helped spawn that movement inside Unilever, it's hard for me to understand that. How are they going to do that?
1: Yeah. I think you're not alone in that skepticism. And I think particularly in that moment in August when we saw the business roundtable announcement come out, which was a bit of a surprise for us to be quite I was going to ask you honest, whether or not you had
0: a little bit of a heads up or anything. I did not
1: have a heads up, which is not to say it wasn't necessarily expected. I mean, we've seen...
0: I feel like you guys need a PR firm. Yeah. <laughs> I know people. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Well, we'll talk afterwards. I think the tides had been shifting in things like Larry Fink's annual CEO letter, where you're starting to see you know, the biggest asset manager in the world talk about the need for companies to have a purpose beyond purely shareholder value. For the business roundtable, 181 of the biggest companies based in the US to come out and share that point of view was sort of a double-edged sword for us in that- again, in order to see systems change, you really have to shift the culture and the narrative. Like, what is business about? How do you actually define success in business? Is it the billion dollar unicorn? Is it Amazon and their ridiculous profits? Or is it companies that are doing good? And so even the storytelling component of it, we love to see. We are supportive of that because that helps drive the change that we need in the system. the Super Bowl,
0: which is full of bullshit ads about companies trying to Correct.
1: Or even now in Black History Month when Mm -hmm. I'm coming from the ad world, like the most brilliant storytelling for one month of the year. And then we somewhat forget some of those insights.
0: With that and with pride and it's black history month and pride appropriation. And look at us. We have a rainbow logo now. Great. Great. You guys are amazing.
1: And so the stories are one piece of the puzzle. And so we support the stories. Those are the things that help shift culture and actually get all of those stakeholders on board to, hey, like this is a new thing that we need to be looking for and that we need to demand. However, the other side of that sword is the action to actually support that. And so at the moment, we see it largely as rhetoric. It is a story that the largest companies, the largest asset managers are talking about, which allows them to get credit for things that they are not yet doing. And so that is where we think certifications like B Corp or organizations that also look at companies more deeply or help them figure out how to be a business for good are getting excited and are starting to take more action to challenge those companies and to say, hey, come on down. We've been doing this for 13 years. We know how to help you. And it's time.
0: And I'm both kind of sad and glad to hear you say that because it's refreshing because I'm not the only curmudgeonly old guy being like, that's bullshit. And look, I agree on the storytelling. I've, my whole career has been storytelling. And I think that even if they're doing it for the wrong reason, if it does inspire others to act and help others in need and underserved populations, awesome, right? I wonder whether or not are certain types of constructs and companies that regardless of their intents, Can they even be a B Corp? Can they actually? And I think that the answer is probably not. Some absolutely can't. That doesn't mean they can't do better. It doesn't mean that they can't be on a path to doing better and improving the world and the way they operate, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. We don't believe that every single company in the world has to be a B Corp or that it's even possible for them to be a B Corp. By design, our assessment is an incredibly high bar and an incredibly high threshold and it's actually a moving bar. We adjust it over time to ensure that it meets that aspirational bar. And so over the 13 years that our assessment has existed, I believe we're on version seven now where we do update it over time. And it's meant to create this forward looking group of companies who are setting the bar for others to follow.
0: And you have to get recertified. You right? have to
1: get recertified every three years.
0: And once you start the process, you agree to the fact that it's public, Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I respect that.
1: Yeah. Once you certify, your assessment is public. Yep. It's on our website. Any company that is a B Corp, if you go to our website, you will see their score and you will see it broken down by the impact areas that I talked about around all the various stakeholders. We do though want companies to come on the journey. And so I think particularly in the last couple of years as an organization, we've been thinking about, okay, great. We have this very elite group of companies that are meeting this incredibly high thresholds of social environmental impact. They have a lot of incredible innovations to share around how to do that. And so we are working on programs now for how to bring along companies who might not be able to get all the way there, or at least not right away and to help them improve. And so whether that is a large multinational or whether that is a company in a controversial industry, we want to be able to help other companies. We're not here to create an elite group of companies and then call it a day. And so many of our programs are about that and we're creating more partnerships to also do that, one of which is with the UN around creating a tool for the sustainable development goals, which is open to anyone, free to any company to use.
0: Right. That's cool. I know you're relatively new to B-Lab, but do you know which company was the first company to be certified?
1: I do not remember. There was an initial cohort of companies in the 2006-2007 range, which we call our founding B-Corps. And I actually don't remember... The names off the top of my head.
0: It's okay. We can do some research. And then, would you know the largest certified company is so far?
1: It's moving, but the largest committed at the moment is Danone. Danone globally and its CEO, Emmanuel Faver, has committed to transforming Danone into a B Corp globally by 2030. And the way that they are doing that is going subsidiary, by subsidiary, which is essentially market by market. And at the moment, Danone North America is one of our largest B Corps. That $5 billion company.
0: Wow. Yeah, and I respect the fact that he's saying it's not going to happen now, but I think it can happen in 10 years because it's not even a pivot. You are literally moving so many things at the same time.
1: And they're transforming their businesses in order to be able to do that, including their worker practices, including going upstream into their supply chains and transforming how they source materials or how they manufacture. And so it's a really intensive and rigorous process in order for them to get there.
0: So is your role, the CMO role must be a new role, right?
1: It is a new role. And so in that transition from my decades long marketing, branding, advertising career, the the stars aligned when this role came up. I've known the founders for quite some time and have had conversations with them and probably provided marketing advice over a dinner table at some point over the course of their life. And when this role came up, it was the stars aligning on how I could then yeah. serve this movement. It's
0: a dream, really. It's a dream
1: role. Absolutely. Jumped at it.
0: And my guess is that from a macro standpoint, your role is to help up level awareness, the benefits, and to put more candidate organizations for consideration who want to go on this journey into the pipeline.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: How long have you been in this role now?
1: It's been a year and a half.
0: Okay. So it's long enough. What tactics, let's talk a little tradecraft for a second. What tactics do you think have worked really well and what's not working?
1: I think what works really well is when our B Corps come together to tell a story. And so we also have to figure out how best to reach different kinds of audiences. And so what we've discovered is the most impactful and most breakthrough way of our message to get out is when B Corps come together to tell a story versus B Lab necessarily telling that story. We are, I joke and people might cringe when I say this back in the office, but like we are the wizard behind the curtain. We don't necessarily need to be at the forefront. We want to uplift this group of companies that are doing amazing things and living and breathing what it means to be a good company.
0: I imagine that you're certified yourselves.
1: We use the assessment on ourselves. So we are technically not certified because we're a nonprofit. Only for profits can certify. But yes, we like to live into the model and meet those assessment needs. Okay, so
0: shared stories help. So
1: shared stories help. I think the most breakthrough moment we had, frankly, was in response to the business roundtable, where not only were a bunch of B Corps coming together, but we were also inserting ourselves into the conversation that was overtaking at least business culture for that month or two. The other tactics that we are experimenting with that I would say have had some success, but that we are still struggling to figure out, is how to engage consumers or the public, with a message of like, this is what a B Corp is. This is why it's important. And then this is how you can engage or activate or become part of this movement. It's a tricky concept to articulate to a consumer in a way that differentiates it clearly from organic or fair trade or lead certification, like what makes it different. And fundamentally, it's about looking holistically at an entire company. And the intricacies of that can get lost in the details and so we miss out on a really breakthrough message to consumers. That being said, we had pretty good success with a campaign called Vote Every Day, which we launched in the fall of 2018 on the back of the midterm elections. The day after we launched with a pop-up and a social campaign around the idea that, you know, voting doesn't end at the ballot box. You're
0: voting with your pocket.
1: With your pocketbook, yeah. with where you work, mm-hmm. And also who you choose to do business with. And so there's sort of that three-pronged approach to how we want people to continue to engage with B Corps on a daily basis.
0: It's kind of no secret that it feels good to do business with companies that you know are trying their best to do good. And even if the product is slightly inferior for that business, yeah. I'm still going to give them my business versus a business that really doesn't care. Or doesn't It's the peer to care. Yeah. And are you, I guess you're targeting senior executives, but there's also this... We talked about this a little bit on the show, this notion of ESG, which is becoming a more and more popular title of an individual and a measure for success. I think it's quite narrow and weird, and it stands for Environment Sustainability and Governance. And I know that those things probably factor into the assessment, into certification, but it only tells a portion of the picture, right? It's not holistic.
1: No, it's not holistic. And that being said, I mean, we are willing to engage with anyone in an organization, our our customers, so to speak, inside any of our prospective B Corps or existing B Corps, it spans the range of the C-suite to sustainability leads and even to marketing leads is creating the story around a point of differentiation through the B Corp certification. I think what we've learned, though, is that for a company to make it through the assessment and to continue on and recertify, it really does have to come from the top. And so we try to work more often than not, with the CEO or even with boards occasionally to ensure that the the certification and the interest in the certification is real because it does require a pretty significant investment in certainly time, but sometimes financially as well.
0: And about how many B Corps are certified currently in North America, roughly?
1: Roughly about 1,500.
0: And how many net do you lose because they either do something really bad or stupid and it gets revoked? Because I imagine that has to be part of the pact. Or because they just fail, they no longer can meet the threshold because their business changed?
1: I mean, our attrition is around, it's under 10%, which is pretty freaking good, I would say.
0: Or is Larry David, pretty, pretty good. Pretty,
1: pretty good. And on a very rare occasion, there will be a company who has their certification revoked, but that is an incredibly rare situation. I think more often than not, the attrition comes with companies who aside for financial reasons, they no longer want to invest in the certification. And then occasionally we have IPO events or acquisition events where a parent company or the markets, if you will, sort of make the decision for us.
0: Sure. There's not much you can do about that. Do you find that there's a seasonality to getting more interest or is it not really necessarily the case? Or is it based on news cycle? Like when the business roundtable made that announcement, which I know we have very mixed feelings about. Yeah. I imagine that you got some sort of influx, right?
1: Absolutely. Some we certainly got many inquiries, some of which were from the business roundtable companies themselves. I would say that there isn't necessarily a seasonality on an annual or even like biannual basis. I think there's just been a steady up creep of interest. And I would say that at the moment our pipeline is overflowing. And so we have more, more companies interested in being a B Corp then we can practically serve at the moment, which is is something we also need to work on to ensure that the process can become more more efficient and more accessible for companies. So
0: you need to go part-time, it sounds like. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need an army of people to help companies go through this. But certainly, the business roundtable was certainly a moment in time where there's a spike in demand, if you will. But over the course of the last couple of years, we've seen an uptick in companies wanting to certify. And I would say the growth... And that interest is certainly in North America, but it's primarily outside of the United States. And so we have huge growth in Europe. We have huge growth in Central and Latin America. And we even have an emerging B-Lab presence in Asia in several markets where there is an incredible interest in figuring out how companies can become B Corps.
0: Again, I try not to be skeptical about these things, but where is the line between companies like take CEOs for gun safety, just as an example, Actually, I wonder what the overlap is between the original CEOs that signed that document that Bloomberg was behind. I ended up signing it afterwards because I wasn't aware of it. I'm like, I'm a wee EO, though, I'm not a real CEO. But they had companies of all sizes. I wonder what that overlap is actually, like the initial list and the list of the business roundtable that signed on. But that aside, being socially woke or caring and leaning into cultural zeitgeist and commenting or acting on social issues is probably a part of being a good global citizen, but it's not everything, right? Because I think about Ben and Jerry's when I had them on. What was so interesting is obviously they do a lot inside of their own supply chain. They do a lot for farmers, but they also manifest their values in social justice. And I'm using that very, very broadly because they do it in so many ways. It's incredible. And what's interesting to me is actually, given the business that they're in, which isn't necessarily a healthy business by most measures. They don't even look at that. Obviously they have different ice creams or people who have different dietary proclivities or restrictions, or they have a vegan ice cream and things like that. Right. But they don't even go there. So it's all about permissioning, right? So what gives Ben and Jerry's permission to talk about social justice issues, not quite in the same vein as Kendall Jenner trying to give, a member of law enforcement, a Pepsi, and think everything is okay, right? Because that was like, talk about purpose washing and race appropriation, all sorts of things, right? It was bad, bad, bad. And we still can't get over it. But where does B Corp or B Lab come into play when it comes to social issues versus business issues and permissibility and what you can and can't comment on? And how does that all work? It's very confusing, I think, to a lot of consumers as well.
1: Yeah. As B Lab, we are by no means the adjudicator of who can say what taking Ben and Jerry's as like the prime example, or even a Patagonia, both of whom are B Corps. Mm -hmm. Their CEOs talk about, we are environmental justice warriors, or we are racial justice warriors, and we happen to make ice cream, or we happen to make apparel. And that is built into the DNA of those companies. And I think the permission and the reason why they're able to do those things is because it's authentic. I mean, they're out there, Suing the government, or they're out there partnering with Black Lives Matter to support their work,
0: and they have the courage to do that. They have
1: the courage to do it, and
0: they're willing to. And say, they're willing to
1: invest in it. Yeah,
0: and they're willing to, in some cases, forego certain customers who don't Absolutely. believe in that. They're like, fine, then don't. This is then what we believe in, then. <laughs> right. and
1: this is why we are here on this planet is to serve these issues. But there's an incredibly wide range of types of companies, even within the B Corp community, which is its own special group, where there are companies who are willing to go out and have those conversations. And there are those companies who certainly are not willing to have those types of conversations, but are doing a whole boatload of work to ensure that internally and from an operational standpoint and a supply chain standpoint, a work chain standpoint, worker standpoint, that they are the best companies in the world. And so it really depends on... The permission piece, I think, comes from whether your audience is listening and whether they believe in you and are you are you doing things akin to the Kendall Jenner ad or are you doing things akin to suing the government because you believe that they have taken lands that they shouldn't have? And so what are the actions, I would say, to back up the storytelling? And that's, again, where I think the stories and the real action behind what supports those stories becomes the differentiator between truly purpose-driven companies like a B Corp. And there's certainly others that are not B Corps that are doing similar things.
0: I have one ask of you guys. There's still to date no real either think tank or third-party organization that calls bullshit on companies that are purpose-washing, either through creative campaigns or through statements that don't have any proof behind them. And I would love to see B Lab create It's a separate division. It'd be part of B lab, but call it like almost a consumer's union version of itself that tracks and analyzes and actually calls out, not shaming, but calls out into question organizations that are just full of shit. It bothers me. And I feel like I'm the lone voice and clearly, and I'm sure I have really limited my ability to get certain clients because I have shamed them or at least called them out. There's not enough of that. And I know that's not your business, But maybe you can create like a side hustle, something, because I just think that's what's really missing right now. We've over-indexed into this purpose, 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 you know, it's like, whatever. But we haven't really put a strong filter on it.
1: Yep. I 100% agree in the, the need for the calling out of purpose washing, of calling bullshit on these incredible stories that then have not a whole lot to back them up. And I would. Or there's I,
0: hypocrisy behind every one or, of them. Yeah, right.
1: Absolutely, talking about gender equity when you're being sued for massive sexual harassment. Yeah, those right. are real challenges. Right. I appreciate the challenge to be lab, and I would put that challenge back. I think I would say, particularly having come from the ad industry, like I would love for there to be some sort of body that regulates the stories that are able to be told. Right. And I wonder if there is a body that can then regulate the the ad industry or the marketing industry that helps these companies do those? Cause oftentimes they're not doing it alone. They're doing it with other agencies. And so is there a role for some sort of regulatory body within the world of the great storytellers to help us not perpetuate So, those sort stories? of our own
0: statement of principles that the four A's and other governing bodies, including the PR council and ANA, and you know, all the organizations that we need to come together and adopt. So You heard it here. We're going through because, you know, we don't have enough things to do, but we need to create that resolution, at least to create an awareness and a consciousness that isn't there because it's just ignored right now. It's willful misconduct and misappropriation of all sorts of different types of things. That's really bothering me, if you can tell.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'll stand behind you at can with your speech to the industry about the need for change. Yes. Yeah.
0: I might have to stand in the shade, though, because I'm very bald. Or I'll have SPF 80 on or something, but I'll have an umbrella over me. But yes, we'll stand together and I think that'd be awesome. So it was incredible having you in. Thank you. We could probably talk and talk and talk. Let's keep going. Maybe we'll do a part two. What's the best way for us to find out about B-Lab?
1: You can go to our website, bcorporation.net. You can find out all about how the certification works who all the B Corps are, what their scores are, if you're interested. And then I would also suggest people check out our new tool that we developed in conjunction with the UN to help companies measure their work against the SDGs.
0: Very exciting. Thanks again for coming in.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good special thanks to our amazing team including the voice you never hear producer extraordinaire Lindsay hand and the always on point associate producer katrina walkley who touches every aspect of this podcast learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our instagram at the bop podcast and learn more about our host at aaron